0: Welcome to Silicon
1: Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Kuh. On today's show, I have Charlie Gans, the founder and CEO of the Center for Innovation and Commercialization, LLC. CICL is an innovation bank that helps companies scale, whether it's a Fortune 500 or whether it's a startup. Also, on CyberTip, I'll have a number of current stories, um, including the ransomware of the city of Baltimore, as well as um, how to protect your cell phone. So don't go away. So in this week's tech news, the White House has just unveiled a new tool to report censorship by social media giants. How we got here is that the big four, so Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, have been trying to combat fake news. And there's a lot of controversy over what constitutes fake news and what doesn't, especially in light of the Russian collusion scandal. So many conservative groups believe that they're being censored by these platforms. So the White House has a utility where you can go onto their website and report uh, for any instance that you believe that you were censored or that your Twitter account or Facebook account or Instagram account and report that and the White House is keeping track. So if you want more information, just go to whitehouse.gov. If you use WhatsApp, which is a messaging platform similar to the Chinese WeChat or Korean Kakao, it has over one and a half billion users. There was a large hack announced this week of vulnerability that could affect 1.5 billion users. So in this case, um, a lot of things to discuss is that, one, the messages in itself are not vulnerable. There's end-to-end encryption in those messages. However, using a technique that is in the chips in your phone it is possible for a hacker to compromise that. So the way to keep that safe is to always patch your software on your application and on your device. The FBI announced that the city of Baltimore was paralyzed with ransomware. And just like the city of Atlanta last year, uh, ransomware is when your systems are taken over, held hostage, and the hackers basically say, you know, pay us an X number of bitcoins to release those Files. In this case, it's estimated that for Baltimore to have fully recovered, and if they had paid the ransom, it would cost about 13 bitcoins, or approximately you know $95,000 plus at today's current bitcoin rate. Um, this wasn't as severe as Atlanta. Baltimore was able to recover without paying the ransom, but just again, if, if cities can't keep themselves safe, who can? And the final tech news story is that if you have an older Tesla, you may be experiencing quote-unquote bricking, which means your computer is inoperable. The question of whether a Tesla is more a car or a computer. And in this, it's discovered that there's an old chip called an eMMC, and if it goes out of warranty and you lose support or access support at Tesla, you really can't fix it. Um, there's lots on the web about what this flaw is all about, but it actually leads to a different question, which is there's all these support groups by... Tesla owners with out-of-warranty cars trying to repair the cars themselves since they can't get support. Even though Tesla states that they don't recommend that, people do it anyway. And that's the Tech News of the Week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, I'm joined with Charlie Gans, the founder and CEO for the Center of Innovation and Commercialization, LLC, CICL. Hi, Charlie. How are you doing?
2: Hi, Keith. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you for hosting me.
1: So, Charlie, right before I start with you, I wanted to explain a little bit about why I'm so passionate about an organization like CICL. Uh, One of the common themes for both Silicon Valley Insider and my own life is that after doing corporate for two decades, I wanted to help many companies achieve success by a number of areas, which is one, scaling, but also doing it in a safe way. And I think CICL, the organization that you founded, is a group of advisors that really help companies do that. So I wanted to go into the background of your experience and with CICL. So why don't you start?
2: Great. I founded CICL almost 10 years ago. We were a startup company and we built a team of experienced people who come out of the Fortune 500, a senior management, corporate development, m people who have launched products, people who have worked with startups, people who have been corporate VCs, people who've made acquisitions, divestitures, turnarounds, and we built an experienced team of people. We're now a team of 19 people, spread 15 in the United States, uh, two in Canada, two in Europe, and we work to accelerate the commercialization of innovation two ways. We work with younger, less recognized, very innovative companies to help them find strategic partners, distribution channels, Fortune 500 customers. And we also, and we introduce, we speak to about five Fortune 500 companies a day, learn about their challenges and priorities. And for the Fortune 500 companies, we represent one single point of contact to access hundreds of innovative capabilities that have been curated, vetted, and uh, with very strong references uh, in existing Fortune 500 companies across various verticals.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think when we first met several years back, I was really impressed, and I thought that that was a unique concept because normally when we hear about similar types of organizations that claim to, to do these things, I think that the um, the hands-on, on-the-ground experience that the team of advisors at CICL has um, really speaks volumes to the capabilities So what are some of the um, team members involved with the group?
2: Great. So uh, I'll give you some examples, Keith. Um, Our CTO, uh, Prithu Prakash, ran public safety at General Dynamics. Our COO, Alex Alima. Alex was general manager of Microsoft Latin America and uh, Canada. He's also been at Capgemini. He's also been at HP. He was also the CIO for VF Corp Asia. Uh, Our head of cyber has uh, 25 years experience in cyber and telecom, uh, Peter Benisti. Uh, Dr. Sid Ulrich runs our healthcare practice. He's a radiologist by trade, and uh, we advise uh, several telehealth platforms, uh, large medical uh, product distributor, it distributes a million products to a million customers. We, we work with uh, healthcare systems. Uh, we work with the uh, healthcare divisions of Fortune 500 companies in looking for innovation. And so we have a very good team of people uh, with diverse backgrounds and diverse relationships that are smart, hardworking, and and as a group, uh, very strategic.
1: That's great. So with your background, what are some of the innovation areas you see that are hot right now?
2: So um, the economy is going through a massive uh, revolution, and everything is around data, so uh, what's happening is that companies are using advanced methodologies, uh, AI, uh, natural language processing, deep learning, other capabilities effectively to uh, sort and analyze large amounts of data very quickly and organize that data and utilize that data and, and, and analyze the data towards better and faster decisions. And so the accuracy with these tools goes up dramatically. And every day, Uh, new companies are are creating the new methodologies to solve problems in a new way that effectively outdate the old ways and the old methodologies of solving those problems. So I believe that, that there are a lot of hot areas, but the biggest area in the world is that helping big companies who have been successful in the past to stay relevant to their customer bases by helping them to provide the capabilities that are at the leading edge.
1: Well, thanks, Charlie. I want to dive deeper into that in our next segment. So once again, you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo, joined with Charlie Gans, the founder and CEO of the Center for Innovation Commercialization. If you have any questions or comments about how to engage with CICL, email us at info at svin.biz, and we'll be right back.
0: For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Kuh. Hey,
1: Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. I'm talking to Charlie Gans, the founder and CEO of the Center for Innovation and Commercialization LLC, or CICL. Thanks again, Charlie, for being here. Keith, it's
2: a pleasure. Thank you.
1: So in our first meeting, Charlie, we were talking about what's hot and what's up and coming. And I think given where the economy is right now and the way we're in flux, what do you really think is going to be the areas of focus in technology?
2: That's a very good question, Keith. So there's a lot of change taking place. This is structural change that has to do with, in the old way, most businesses were capital intensive. And so you built infrastructure, whether it was a telecom or utility or cable TV or hospital, and today, because of the Internet and because of the addition of, of, of many different technologies, um, what's happening is that software and solutions are replacing the need for infrastructure. So you have a economy that's driven by operating uh, solutions as opposed to capital-intensive solutions. And so an example of that is telehealth, where instead of people going into the hospital to get treated, people are using digital health sensors in various form factors, Uh, to be able to be monitored in the home. And people will now use technology to age in the home instead of going into a nursing home or into some other facility. And so that uh, you have a whole change in the distribution of services and the ability to provide services to people in the last mile where they are as opposed to having to go to a central place to receive that service. It's a greater convenience. It's cheaper. It's more efficient. It's more effective. And it's more timely.
1: Oh, that's a great example. Are, are there um, one or two others?
2: Sure. So so data, as I mentioned before, is everything. And uh, so one of the challenges is to take data that you have, whether it's structured data or unstructured data, and be able to utilize that data to your advantage, whether you're trying to share it with colleagues or clients, whether you're trying to uh, share it with uh, team members, whether you're trying to analyze that data to try to learn from the latest available interactions, or at the same time, you have to protect that data. So the cyber industry is booming because bad guys are using the latest available technologies to try to steal data and intrude and shut down companies and disrupt operations and spread fake news and do all kinds of, of horrible things because they can, and there's profit incentive for them to do that. And so on the other side, you have a bunch of new companies that are creating the methodologies using these same advanced technologies to prevent the intruders from getting in. And so there's a race to continue to evolve and to update and to um, use create these latest capabilities that allow you to block these increasing threats.
1: Yeah, thanks, Charlie. Those are perfect examples. So, Charlie, I want to go back to something you were talking about during the question of the week, which is with these... You know, the change in inf- from infrastructure from a capital intensive to these uh, system solutions. And in your seat of speaking to five Fortune 500 companies a day, how are the large companies keeping up with the rate of innovation? Are they adapting well? Or if they're not, what are they doing to stay current?
2: So large companies are spending more money for innovation. Uh, and uh, large companies are feeling that pressure. Because on one side, they want to be as innovative as they can. On the other side, they've done things very successfully in the past, and they don't want to disrupt the goose that lays the golden egg, the things that they've done very successfully. They don't want to disrupt those. They'd like to extend those. And so a lot of innovation, in our opinion, occurs to try to extend the life of existing solutions and capabilities and also to be able to add new capabilities. Uh, I think, uh, Unfortunately, though, I think big companies are falling behind. The pace of new innovation is accelerating so quickly that there's so many new things going on that the larger companies don't learn about all those new things until they see a bunch of new competitors uh, in their space trying to compete for clients, which make sales cycles go longer and client decision-making processes go longer. And it's like going into a boxing ring and being blindfolded and trying to knock out your opponent. If they don't know who their opponents are, they can't identify them until a forester uh, or gardener identifies them, uh, and they don't understand the capabilities at which they're winning business, it becomes tougher for them. And so I think many big companies are facing the challenge of being mature, more legacy, and um, they have to adapt. And the only way they can adapt is either to apply external innovation or acquire companies that have uh, scaled that that provide them the ability to enter new markets and or bring in new products.
1: Yeah, the, the, the traditional build versus buy conundrum. You know, it's funny because um, you, you brought this up. Even in the U.S., most companies, even Fortune 500s, don't last 100 years. And uh, oftentimes, no matter what industry they're in, they miss the curve or the shift. So we can talk about Kodak with uh, missing the boat on digital when they were sitting on... Traditional film, or we can now talk about what people usually think as kind of old world industries. I'm seeing it now with even more quote unquote modern industries or dot com industries that um, all companies are facing this challenge with how to stay current.
2: Yeah, it's a huge problem. So you have some of the most admired companies in the world that have failed and missed big industries. Look, companies like Microsoft have missed effectively wireless, they missed the internet. They missed a lot of big plays, and now they're they're doing fabulously in terms of the cloud and some of the other businesses, but many very successful companies have missed massive uh, shifts in business and opportunities because they were too focused on doing what they do, and they were not as open to outside ideas. And many people, many companies do R&D that's focused in very narrowly defined areas, and more companies have to open up and sort of increase their R&D and their exploration of new technologies to external innovation and to be able to be open innovation as opposed to closed innovation. Closed innovation means I'm only working on these three or five things and that's where I'm going to put my energy on. Open innovation is I'm going to allow myself to look at anything and try to figure out how all these things that are out there can impact my business positively or negatively and try to find the things that can help me best built my business.
1: So, Charlie, with the conversations you're having with some of the top companies in the world, it, you know, again, all, there's a lot of anonymity in who you're, you're talking to. Are they receptive to the concept of having to go outside for help?
2: Yes, many companies are structured to, uh, many companies have made acquisitions around the world where those acquisitions have become their innovation centers, like in Israel, where hundreds of companies have acquired Israeli companies and through that opened up their own innovation R&D labs, innovation centers both open and closed, uh, and uh, have, have sought to to access more outside innovation faster. Uh, that trend is accelerating, uh, but it's still way behind in terms of um, companies' ability to adapt things. Sales, like, companies' internal innovation processes are slow, Everybody talks about wanting to get faster, but the reality of the situation is that very few companies move quickly. Uh, There's a lot of bureaucracy. There's a lot of silos. There's disruption. There's a lot of things that have to align to commercialize technology, and and, and there are long uh, sales cycles. So if you're going to get something into the automotive industry and you're successful, it might take three or four years to get embedded into an automobile. And so uh, there just are long processes that you have to go through, but... If, if you if you survive those processes and you're patient and you have the right technologies, um, it's a really great time. There's never been a better time for commercialization of innovation in the history of the world.
1: Yeah, Charlie, thanks for going into depth and in some of the historical references. Uh, again, you're listening to Keith Kuhn on Silicon Valley Insider, joined with Charlie Gantz, who's the founder and CEO of the Center for Innovation and Commercialization, um, otherwise known as CICL. you have any questions or comments on how to reach Charlie, you can email us at info at svin.biz. A couple of quick reminders the San Jose Smart City Conference is May 31st. I'm the MC, and it's free to the public. So come to our website, svin.biz, for more information or go look for it on the Eventbrite. Also, the second annual Tulip Conference, Emerging Technologies is on the week of June 3rd in San Francisco, and you can get more information from us as well. Email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll be right back with more of Charlie.
0: For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your hosts, Keith Koo. Welcome back to
1: Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Ku. Once again, I'm joined with Charlie Gans, who's the founder and CEO of CICL, which is the Center for Innovation and Commercialization, LLC. On this week's Cyber Tip, I want to talk a moment about how to protect your mobile device. So earlier in tech news, I had talked about how WhatsApp, an application used by 1.5 million mobile devices, was quote-unquote vulnerable or hacked. And as we learn more about it, it wasn't necessarily the application that was able to be hacked. It was via the device. In this just general concept, people worry about losing their personal data, the social security numbers, but the mobile phone is often a very easy way for hackers to get your information. And why is that? Well, here in the US, the four or five major mobile carriers all use different ways of authenticating who you are. And sometimes they're very simple. And so without what we say is two-factor authentication or some other backup authentication. If you're only securing it on a password, people get certain information, which I don't want to disclose on the air, but certain basic information that a Google search or a Facebook account that you keep current would have. People could easily steal your phone. And how they do that is by basically taking over your SIM card. So once they have that, it's really easy for then the nefarious entity tend to be you and then gain access to your bank accounts other applications, other computer accounts, and so the tip is make sure with your mobile carrier that you're the only account holder and be sure to enable two-factor authentication which means making sure that even if you were to request a change that they're going to validate who you are through another phone number, another email account or some other way of getting a hold of you or some other way of identifying who you are without relying on the phone itself and your personal information. And that's the tip of the week. Welcome back. Once again, I have Charlie Gans, CEO and founder of the Center for Innovation and Commercialization. Welcome back, Charlie. Thank you, Keith. So, Charlie, in the first two segments, we talked about the history of CICL, what's going on in the market right now, especially with people being concerned about the economy, how Fortune 500 companies as well as startups are adapting and trying to stay innovative what are some of the success stories you can talk about uh, in regards to CI sales engagement with these large companies? So we'll
2: give you, some, we'll give you a couple of, of ideas of things that we've done. And, and uh, we have NDAs in place with a lot of companies, so we may not be able to mention their names, but we may be able to mention their industries or give a hypothetical. So we helped a large defense company build a uh, – they were looking for uh, – to build a platform of – cutting-edge capabilities that they could offer to foreign governments to protect their borders. And we took them to Israel. We identified 80 companies that we thought could help them to uh, satisfy their needs of different capabilities. And we went to actual demonstrations of those technologies on three of the Israeli borders uh, a couple of years ago. And they ended up choosing 35 companies and built a platform of best-of-breed capabilities that they were able to go out and sell offer to foreign governments. Uh, that's one example uh, of a success. And We advised them. We helped them in the specifications. We helped to identify the companies. We helped to vet the companies. We helped to uh, put the platform together in a way where uh, these, these new cap- capabilities could be added and or subtracted as technology evolves. One example, um, recently in, in the course of the last uh, few weeks, we just helped a, a top 10 global bank to uh, deploy a, a cyber solution. Uh, they, they had a need for a specific type of, of threat intelligence uh, and that the vendors that they were using were not uh, served well in terms of providing them the state-of-the-art capability. We went through a competition against managed service providers We went to a competition against other providers, and um, we won. It took 18 months from start to finish, and uh, that bank is now in the process of deploying the cyber solution for threat intelligence that searches the deep and dark web for information that's leaked out and also can warn against bad actors that are trying to uh, attack them. And uh, they're starting at five seats and going to 100 seats this year. And for for our client company, the cyber provider, that will be potentially become the largest customer that they have.
1: That's great, and congratulations to, to you and the team. One thing I want to mention, because we talk about it often on the show and in my own advisory services, um, 18 months in a large enterprise to win a deal is actually not that long. Uh, the sales cycle for winning these type of large contracts could take that long or longer, so it's not trivial. It's something that was very complex so it's a, it's a great win for CICL. Uh, what are some of the ways that, because you made a really good point about even a large defense contractor who you know, has, all, has major um, clients in governments around the world, why is it so hard for them to, at this point, get these innovations themselves? Why do they need a CICL to do that versus doing it internally?
2: So it goes back to the concept of this change in the economy from capital intensive of, of products and solutions to uh, operating intensive solutions, software versus hardware. So these big defense integrators are used to building large scale projects geared towards long-term government contracts funded over many years. And, and so they're not used to building software and solutions. And so to, to create a product that effectively is sourced not by a long-term pros- project uh, specifications, but where the specifications are built in real-time to, to, a, to a real-time need. They're created, not manufactured internally, but they're outsourced, put together as a solution where you could, you could like, like a Lego set, you could add pieces to it or subtract pieces to it and adjust it sort of like a, um, a mesh, you could create your own network of, of, of fabric of, of weaving different capabilities together as you need them, and/ or subtract them as you don't need them. And so this was a new concept for them because it allowed them to effectively go out and create a product, a solution that was very timely, had better functionality than anything in the marketplace they were competing against. They didn't have to manufacture anything. They could go out and sell services through their existing relationships, and capture meaningful margin, and be very agile. And all they had to do was sell it, and service it, and manage
1: it. Yeah, so this is the fascinating point about what you're talking about, because you and I deal with a lot of uh, technology leaders. It's not so much once that once you're engaged and you're on that project, but how are you convincing the technology leader that this is the best course of action when the natural human inclination is that I want to build this myself, especially here in Silicon Valley, um, for years and years, it's always like I can build this, so why would I go buy it?
2: So I've been coming to Silicon Valley for 40 years, for more than 40 years. I love Silicon Valley. I'm there every six weeks, and I love to learn about new technologies and see the the ingenuity that people have in terms of their creating of solving problems their way. Silicon Valley has always been that way for you know almost 100 years, um, and so um, I think that. You have this great opportunity in companies, big companies. You know, whatever they did that they do well and that they become very big at, most of those things were done over the last 10 or 15 years, and they were they were able to solve problems their way, and they were able to scale. They were able to scale locally, they were able to scale globally, and they became globally dominant. But now, what happens is that every one of the businesses they're in is changing. And every one of the businesses faces new competitors, and every one of the businesses faces new business models that are challenging incumbent business models. And so they have to adapt, and they have to do it in a way where they manage it because they don't want to upset and destroy their business. They don't want to hurt their margins. They don't want to dislocate their customers. Uh, So it's it's challenging. And they have a vested interest in maintaining the status quo because a lot of their management team was successfully built the, the, the operations of the company that are successful. So it's hard to change that culture. It's hard to want to change what you're doing. It takes a lot of fortitude to do that. And, 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 and when you're doing something new, the size of what you're doing is small compared to the old thing that you did that was successful. That's very meaningful. So it takes a lot of the new stuff to, to offset the old stuff. And so that, um, you know, we can t- we talk to a big cable TV company about new businesses And I'm not going to mention the name, but they're, you know, they're a gigantic company in in, in the many, many, many tens of billions of dollars of sales. And they say, look, if we can't, if we don't have a business that's generating a billion to two billion dollars of revenue, it's not important to us because our total revenues are are more than $50 billion.
1: Right.
2: if, If it can't be meaningful... It just it just gets lost. And, and, and therefore, it's hard to, to spend a lot of time and energy and effort on something that's not going to be meaningful in the next year or the next three or four years. And so that's where the acquisition side comes into play, where it takes so long to scale new things that uh, it's easy to just buy something that already has momentum, that's already proven itself to be a leader and successful in the new space.
1: Yeah, I I like the cable example and it crosses other industries as well. Once you get to a certain size and you do need to be acquisitive, um, you still have the vulnerability that you can be uh, tackled by many different smaller parts. So this whole concept of being attacked by not one major competitor, but like 10 smaller ones that are each taking away a little portion of your business. Um, What's your recommendation for that?
2: And I think that the cable TV industry or the telecom industry and they compete heavily against each other is a good example. In both industries, I think both of the major players think that their basic businesses are obsolete and and that the cable business grows very slowly and the telecom business grows very slowly. So all the companies are trying to reinvent themselves with acquisitions and become less landlocked into their local business and more ability to have businesses that can scale globally. And so you know, Verizon buys AOL and Yahoo because they wanted that global customer base and they wanted the content. And AT&T buys the satellite company and, and other things, Time Warner, because they want to be able to have more content to be able to sell to customers all over the world. And so you have this changing business models where companies want to get out of this fixed infrastructure and be able to leverage capturing global customers. They want to get away from local and be global and use the internet and use IoT and use bandwidth to be able to sell services to them.
1: Yeah, Charlie, so just with this one minute we have left in this segment, what's your advice to that cable company and how is CICL going to help them?
2: So we actually work with two cable TV companies. We're helping them to identify new capabilities that they could use to generate new revenues for customer and to grow their business. We're also, we also work with telecoms around the world in helping them do that in, in markets in Asia and the United States and Latin America. And, and so it's a question of trying to identify new services, new capabilities that uh, help to engage with the customer and make the customer more interested in their relationship as opposed to less interested.
1: Hey, Charlie. This is just going to be the first of many conversations. I think what CICL brings to innovation in traditional companies as well as empowering startups is important. So thanks again for being here today. And then don't go away because we're going to have you back for the pivot. If you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz, And we'll be right
0: back with more of Charlie. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo.
1: Once again, I'm joined with Charlie Gans, the founder and CEO for the Center of Innovation Commercialization. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Keith. So early in the show, we talked about CICL, all the innovation it empowers and how we help companies scale. I want to talk now during the pivot is... A lot of times we get startups into CICL and they've got great products, a little bit rough around the edges. I think CICL is great in how it actually positions them to be looked at by these larger companies. Can we talk about what that process is like?
2: Yeah, so first of all, thank you, Keith. We, by underst- we, since we spent a lot of time talking to Fortune 500 companies, global integrators, and global telecoms, we have a good understanding what their needs are. By understanding what their needs are, it's easier to advise startups as to what they're thinking because uh, at the end of the day, if we bring a really hot technology to a big company and that technology does not fit with what they near, their needs are and priorities are, they may or may not look at it. They may or may not care for it. They may not pay attention to it. And so it's a question of trying to take the capabilities of the company and adapt them to a fortune 500 company use case that's relevant. and and to find the right champion within that Fortune 500 company, whether it's the corporate VC, whether it's the innovation side, whether it's a product person, whether it's a corporate development person uh, who owns that area, and try to interest them in how this technology could benefit them. So we ask the companies that we work with to create target-specific use cases, and we work with them to adjust those use cases to try to capture what we think is the essence of the opportunity with Fortune 500 companies.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's powerful because as we work with lots of startups and lots of Fortune 500s. Um, the startups, typical is that they really believe they they know the market they're selling to. So they might have a great product and they believe in that, but sometimes there's a mismatch in that they might have a great product, but they don't really know what the customer is looking for or actually how to onboard their product.
2: Correct. And and that also is, is important. Sometimes you have, you have companies that have multiple use cases for the same product. And sometimes they, you have technologies that have unlimited applications and companies need to focus in order to try to be able to execute in one vertical or one use case as opposed to focusing on all of them. And so it's really critical that you define how a capability can really – benefit a company uh, so that they can think about either from a cost reduction standpoint, a better customer experience standpoint, or more importantly, the ability to generate new revenues uh, for them, uh, how they're going to, why they should use this and, and how important it could be to them.
1: How often is the case where working with the large companies like Fortune 500 ones, that you already know what they're looking for, you're basically scouting for them, and so really when the right startup technology comes your way, you know how to slot them in.
2: So sometimes technology is, is very disruptive. Sometimes technologies are just the incremental um, life cycle of going to the next iteration of what's possible. And you sort of have to look and see what is really hugely different and innovative and what is just better than what was done before. There's so much innovation going on, but not everything that's quote-unquote innovative and new is is really uh, cutting-edge and and, and meaningful. And so there's an awful lot of noise, there's an awful lot of me-too stuff in technology. You have to sort of differentiate, sort that out according to uh, the strengths, the competitive advantages, and unique differentiation of those capabilities.
1: Right. So... um One thing I thought was really interesting, and we didn't talk about it during this show, so we'll probably have it on another show, but just a little teaser of that, is we actually help companies. um, It's actually like a matchmaking process. It's where we already know the client. We know what the technology they're looking for. We have identified the target startup. And back to what you said earlier, helping them work on the use case to fit what the larger company's looking for, that's one part of the secret sauce.
2: Correct. So so we, we use our innovation bank. We have more than 350 cutting-edge capabilities in our innovation bank. We see 20 new companies a week, 1,000 new companies a year. So we see a lot of innovation. We understand where innovation is going because of the magnitude of numbers of companies that we see. And therefore, we understand, because we see so much of it, how it can be applied. And, and we ask a lot of questions about the use case because sometimes the use case isn't as clear as it needs to be. And, and so we our team of people, work with, with our startups, and, and not, not all our companies are startups, many of them are, are, are just lesser-known companies that have already generated sales of one to five or 10 million dollars. They're just not household names. Uh, they haven't spent the money on marketing and, and, and become big yet. Um, so uh, that's the opportunity is to try to help them be, to scale and help them get into enough relationships, both Fortune 500 end-user customers and distribution channels that could help them to grow uh, faster and and, and capture and penetrate the marketplace.
1: Hey, Charlie, can't believe we're already out of time. So before we go, earlier in the show you gave advice to Fortune 500. What's your advice to a startup on how to properly scale?
2: So I I think that, first of all, you have to be ready to scale. You have to have the necessary amount of capital. You have to be willing to invest the capital into relationships. So oftentimes startup companies will hire a bunch of uh, very expensive, very good people, and uh, they will go through the resources very quickly. And the goal here is to have staying power so that you have to balance the amount of money that you spend as part of your operations with the ability to outsource things. We created CICL to help accelerate that, so companies could act, get access to fortune five hundred companies faster, cheaper, quicker, et cetera. And so because of that, we can get we can get younger companies in front of com- big companies that we think would be good partners for them. we can We can get them in front of them in five minutes. Then the question is, there's a long sales cycle of that can, as I said earlier, can take six to eighteen months to actually get something commercialized because you have to go through a, an introduction a demonstration, a technical demonstration, a proof of concept, then if that's successful, the commercialization discussion with the appropriate business units, then procurement and legal, and that just is a long process. And <clears throat> there's lots of bureaucracy that can kill any deal in that through that process uh, and make it not come out the back door.
1: And Charlie, that's going to be a, another whole topic on another show. So thanks again for being here. If you have any questions or comments on how to get a hold of Charlie and the Center for Innovation Commercialization, email us at info.svin.biz, and we'll see you next week.
0: You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Ku. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846. 888-828-SVIN.